Welcome back to the talk show. It is the 41st episode. Um, I did an NBA recap with my father. I haven't recorded in a while, and we did an NBA finals recap because Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks have won over the hearts of Americans as they win the NBA finals in just a really just impressive and heartwarming fashion. And the way they did it was just unique and special. So it really brings out all the things me and my father have talked about on this podcast throughout the NBA season and really ties them all together. So we had to sit down and talk about it. I'm going to do another episode a little bit later um, talking about um, some other NBA stuff, Yankee stuff. I got a lot of stuff to get to. I haven't been on in a while. been a little busy. But all that and more coming up. And plus, apparently there's an important biking race. So Zalmi, shout out. This is for you. Yitzi T, you too. Um, a little biking content. My brother is a huge, I think he calls it a cycling uh, enthusiast. So all that and more coming up next on the talk show. Welcome back to the talk show and a return guest who is here again for, I mean, what is this your third time? Uh, yeah, I feel this is like a triumphant return because it's the culmination of our NBA talk has just transpired. And so it's an honor to be here and certainly a third time is a charm, I hope. Yeah. So the reason we're doing this is because this is NBA recap. The season has ended and now it's time to talk about it. I mean, I, I got to jump on, do a whole podcast. I'm going to include the Yankees in it somehow. And you'll see how I'll, I'll tie that in. You'll see that a little bit later. Um, not in today's episode, but that'll be an episode for a later day as I'm sitting in my living room now watching the Yankees. But this finals was something different, something that when we talked earlier, I said it was a finals that we haven't seen in like a bunch of years. I called it a pure championship. Um, and the reason I called it that and referred to it as a pure championship is because when was the last time we saw a guy who was drafted by a team and they built the team around him and that was the team that won the championship? Kind of like that. I mean, they traded for Drew Holiday, but is Drew Holiday really a guy that's a huge difference maker? This isn't a, a dream team. This isn't the Heat and, you know, the the LeBron Heat or even obviously the KD and those guys in Golden State. Um, so it's pretty remarkable that that's what we have, but it's funny. The championship ended a couple of days ago and now the first couple of days, everyone just overreacts. Everyone's talking about, you know, Oh, Giannis is the greatest player ever, blah, 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 all that. There's the overreaction period where people forget all the little things that happened, but now we waited a couple of days and now we could talk about what actually happened in the series. And that's what I look forward to doing with you. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me on. And I think it's like we were saying, you, I know, recall very, very well when the Nets put together their, I don't know what you want to call it, dream team, are you going to call it that? Their collection of uh, self-entitled um, uber, uber talented players. And we said, you know what, this team really could win. And they certainly, it was within the realm of possibility that they would, but wouldn't I'm it be great? Size too big away from winning probably. Yes, but you know what? It's always like that, right? We were just thinking everything plays into everything. Personality, you want to call it karma, you want to call it grit. These things play into it just as much as talent does. And what we were hoping this would be, other than anything short of the Knicks winning, this was our best case scenario. Because this was, 
like you were saying, an organic team, even Golden State, as you mentioned, I mean, obviously they brought up Stephen Curry and, and uh, Clay and their, and their core with Draymond was homegrown, but then they, all of a sudden they bring in Durant as the assassin. And then does it make it better? Or does it make it less satisfying when they win? Here, the whole thing, even though there's a trade for Drew that still had a homegrown feel to it, and you could see how immensely invested the city was in it, almost as invested as we said New York uh, was in the Knicks. But the main thing was a triumph of old school values, teamwork, grit, and determination over even to the very last game. You know, Chris Paul, we're going to talk about him, I know, but just him with his antics, mimicking other players, mimicking the refs. It's kind of like, shut up, Chris Paul. You are tremendously talented. I think you've been a, a good ambassador to the league, all state commercials and all that. We love it. We get it. But Giannis, how often do you get to quantify uh, fire and desire and eye of the tiger? And here we were able to quantify how much Giannis wanted it in the weirdest, most unexpected, unprecedented way free throw shooting percentage it was incredible yeah and Giannis (laughs) is the big story and we'll get to the breakdown of that in a second but yeah like you said and without overreacting to it because if we came on uh three weeks ago we'd be talking about okay Mike Budenholzer's out who's the new coach of the Bucks and if we came on after even two games of this series as recently as that it's like wow people were talking about who's the oh wow are they the next dynasty the Suns I mean this is crazy right they they they're up 2-0 in the series and everyone sons and four all those guys and the way the script flips just like that is crazy so obviously you know you don't want to overreact but how could you not overreact to what Giannis has done in the biggest games of his life he's stepped up and yes I mentioned before the shoe size Kevin Durant misses that that three or he makes it a two instead of a three and that changes the whole series but that's what happened so many times in this series. And really it was almost like Giannis controlled his own destiny throughout the whole thing. And it's a guy with that type of attitude that that happens to. This was a guy who was determined to win and not just determined to win, determined to be the man. I mean, he signed the extension in Milwaukee. And even then I was like, well, how long is he going to be in Milwaukee for? There was rumors. I just read a tweet that someone had wrote at the time, an NBA insider actually for the Knicks. Um, She wrote, she was like, Giannis is looking to sign a long-term deal in Miami. You know, that was like earlier in the off season last year. And then it comes out right after that. He signs the extension. They make the Drew Holiday trade. Um, and the Drew Holiday trade was just part of trying to show Giannis, hey, we're, we're making an effort to keep you here. And that actually got him to buy in, which shocked me. But his attitude was bought in from the beginning. If you look at the videos, they asked him what he wants to be. He wants to be an NBA player. Um, that's all he wants to be in his question from earlier in the series where he talked about, he just lives in the present. He's not thinking about the past. He's not thinking about past series. He's not thinking about the future. He's just trying to live in the moment and be the best he could possibly be in the moment. I mean, there are so many lessons you could take from this guy. And the best thing that could have happened for the NBA is for a guy who's 26 years old with that kind of attitude and that kind of mentality to win a championship and to not only be the two-time MVP, but to be the man, the, finals MVP, the biggest man on the biggest stage with no, there was no question that he was the man in this series. You know, uh, in other series you could talk about Ray Allen hits the biggest three 
of LeBron James career. You know what I mean? If Ray Allen doesn't hit that three, LeBron doesn't win that title. So like you could talk about that. Kyrie hit the biggest three of LeBron's career also, because maybe he doesn't win that title. And, you know, obviously when KD and Steph are together, so they're both trading shots, but Giannis was the undisputed greatest in this finals. You know, even Kobe passed the shot up to Ron Artest for a three at one point. So, um, to win a finals back then. So, that's what's incredible for the league. He's only 26 years old. He has this mindset. He has this attitude. He wants every day he comes hungry. He was playing 100% effort. We talked about this all year with guys who, you know, check in, check out. Some games they're in, some games they're out. And this guy is always on, always going full throttle on every single possession. You saw he was exhausted in some of those games and it didn't matter. And then late in that game, he was hitting turnaround jumpers from 18 feet that like you wouldn't have thought Giannis could ever hit. But it was more mind over matter. If he would have pulled up from three, I would have been like, oh, of course he's going to hit that. Because it's sometimes you wonder if how much the mind plays into it. Oh, you are talking about pure sheer will and determination. I want to piggyback on some of your points because, uh, yes, it was obvious at the end who was the man. But it was not obvious at all, right, Uh, throughout the series. Not at all. I mean, this is a guy who just, just kept plugging away, plugging away, saying, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to put myself in position to win. And like you said, even when the game, I'm going to call you out, even within the game, you were, and I don't even know if you remember this because of the overreaction uh, factor, you were rooting so hard for Chris Paul, not just in earlier in the se- in the series, but earlier in, in that game very six. game. Yeah. yeah. In game six, you're like, this is, this is bull. The coach, the refs are terrible. Chris Paul deserves this. And, and Giannis won you over, like at some point you and I were saying Giannis is smelling blood in the water and I am the tiger. And I think like I was saying before, you, as he started hitting free throws and shots that he never hit before, he just seemed more ready for the moment. He seemed in the moment preparing himself for good things to happen. Not, not like the rest of the guys, you know, you're in a league, like you say, where guys don't want to take the chance of not winning the championship and like having to go home. And so they load up on these overloaded super teams, like embarrassment of riches. And then they embarrass themselves. Giannis did not do that. And that's where you and I kind of, I was, I kept telling you, yes, Drew Holiday, he's not right. He's not Chris Paul. Right. But just the strength, the mentality, the defensive fundamentals, just the toughness, really the mental toughness. And please. And that's the PJ Tucker factor also. Yeah, but we've talked, we've spoken too long without mentioning the dog of all dogs. Chris Middleton is a dog dog. That guy is incredible. (laughs) He was, he would like, it would be in the middle of 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 a, it would be in an offensive lack of flow. Like they're kind of standing around and trying to figure out where is this point going to come from? And Chris Middleton is at an awkward, like 23 and a half feet from the basket is back to the basket, a defender draped on him. And he just like faces the basket elevates and swishes it in. You hear the announcers go, Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Every time there was a shot that needed to be made, like you said, (laughs) the offense wasn't flowing. Phoenix would go on a run or anytime any of that happened. They're really in the prior series also, especially the two games that Giannis sat against uh, the Hawks. And I want to touch on the Hawks for a second also, but um, every time they needed a big shot, it was 
Chris Middleton who made that shot. And I tweeted out that if Chris Middleton was a little more arrogant, and a little better looking, we'd be talking about how he's one of the best 10 players in the league because that's how the league is running. Maybe that's, you know, Giannis, I always thought he was overhyped and then maybe underhyped. And I was like, Giannis, and sometimes the NBA gets as hyped as the players hype themselves up. And as much as they make them a story and Giannis isn't trying to make himself a story. Yeah. hundred percent. Two MVPs in a row. It didn't matter. He was never trying to make himself the story. And like you said, he smelled the moment and the moment all of a sudden, like when I went back and watched the highlights from the Knicks series and it was tough to watch because the Knicks lost to the Hawks, but you appreciated how a guy like Trey young all of a sudden in that moment, became a different guy that we had never seen before. And the same thing happened with Giannis. Giannis couldn't physically hit those three free throws going 17 of 19 from the line. He couldn't do it in prior games in the series, but in this game he could because they needed him to. And the offense wasn't coming from anywhere. Drew Holiday was four of 20. I said, if Drew Holiday has a bad game, all they need is Chris Paul could have stepped up, hit a couple shots. Devin Booker could have stepped up, hit a couple shots. But no, every time it was Giannis play after play down the stretch, making all the big plays on both sides of the floor and sharing will a victory. Right. I mean, this is the consummate team. And that's a beautiful point that you make. You know, you, you, you even said yourself, who's the greatest player? Would Chris Middleton be considered a superstar? These guys don't seem, uh, you know, and I hope it continues this way, but they seem to value more just the, the team performance and winning above all else. A lot of people pay lip service to that, but these guys really seem to live it. And they just had an attitude, even with a four for 20, Drew Holiday, to just have swagger and just continue to doggedly go after everything. And enough, you know, you, you see sometimes slacking, even Devin Booker, you see like shoulders sagging, complaining, whining to the refs. And not not taken away from and he he works so hard at his craft and he's a you know he's he, he's an unbelievable talented offensive player like um, Mark Jackson says offense is almost too easy for that guy he, he is he is amazing Devin Booker but the way Drew Holiday to still be so invested in the game to be right on top of him and to make that final strip at the end and the incredible pass to Giannis was incredible and just this team won with attitude. And that's the lesson that we're taking away. In fact, I think the turning point of the game may have been a moment that was not even during play, which is Chris Paul trying to create antics and stare down our boy, Bobby Portis, party, Bobby Portis and Bobby, Bobby Portis, P. Bobby P our guy had a smile on his face. Like, dude, whatever. You're and like, that's when chihuahua. I texted you. Yeah, you're a chihuahua barking at me. I'm a golden retriever that's about to like have a golden medallion around his neck. Like, I don't even, and, and just the dismissive smile, the confidence and the sheer purpose of will, like you were saying, it, it, it's why we, it's why I personally watch sports. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, a uh, little teaser here about cycling and the sheer purpose of will we'll that goes into cycling. We're going to get there. But the point is, because the Tour de France, I don't know if people know. Okay, it's not for now. It's not and for the, now. Well, the Olympics is tomorrow, but it's not for now. We don't want Zalmi to get going too early. <laughs> Zalmi's my brother, um, and he might be listening to this for the cycling part, and we don't want him to get too excited too early in the podcast and then have to listen to us talk for a while about stuff that's not related to cycling. So we'll, we'll get there. All right. But if there's anything that ties the two themes together, NBA and cycling, there's not much. In fact, I'll say this first about cycling. To the uh, since he got me into it, 
as far as I could tell, they haven't yet broken the color barrier, which is like weird on them. Uh, You're saying you know, the Jackie Robinson or Jack right. A Robinson needs to show up. All of a sudden, totally we wouldn't see tour. Hans Gruber winning the Tour de France anymore. Uh, possibly, right. Exactly. I mean, it, it's it's a very European sport. What can I tell you? But um, we're going to get to it. But just the sheer determination is what we love about sports. Just really a whole being greater than some of its parts all those cliches and just each individual being greater than they, what they would be um just by sheer like we said just being focused and staying strong and being persistent and being resilient i mean these are the lessons we want to take away from sports how it what kind of lesson is it if you if you're self-entitled self-promoting get together a whole bunch of superstars and then win with your friends and then like tweet about it and brag about it to the world like I, to me, that's distasteful, and that's why we rooted against the Nets, you know, frankly, and that's why we we're rooting so hard. And just one team after another, the Bucks proved it. And so this was for us a triumphant year, a win for the NBA, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it's a win for the NBA and a win for the Bucks fans, and a really a win for the Suns fans also, because if you think about it, other than Chris Paul, this is a really a homegrown talent team where you love a guy like Devin Booker, you love a guy like Monty Williams, and you feel like those guys are awesome guys. You know, there's there's definitely nothing that, you know, you can hold against But what them. is Chris Paul's future now? Yeah, and we'll get to there in a second. But another guy that I hated at first and then, you know, learned to respect, and I compare it to him, um, where you just see so many times that the the whole, the team is greater than the the part, and then eventually you just go learn to appreciate the single guy is – Tom Brady. I mean, for years and years, it's like, how many times did this guy get lucky and this guy have the tuck rule and then something goes his way and then a missed field goal. And then this every year or something. I never, he was never talked about in a single season as, Oh, he's a top five quarterback or the, the best quarterback in the league this year. And you look back over the course of a 20 year career of quote unquote, lucky things happening to him and him winning and him just willing his way to victory and willing his teams to victory. And over, over time, you're like, Oh, well, yeah, he's the greatest ever. And that's why, um, and, I, and again, 48 hour reaction window premature to say that that would happen to Giannis. He's 26. It, he could definitely have a dynasty type run. I still don't think the bucks would be the favorites going into next season or even a top three favorite in the league to win a championship next year, depending on how free agency shakes out. But, you know, there's so many different ways how to build a roster that you think, you know, the Philly mindset, which is lose, lose, lose till we get enough picks stockpile assets to win, or let's bring out everyone together to try and win all those different ways. And it turns out the way to do it was to just get a guy who cares more than anyone else. Um, and that's the Brady theory. You know, when the bucks brought Brady in, they said, if we build it, he'll come. If we just put together a roster, that's good enough. Brady, finally, the first time in his career after taking, pay cut after pay cut with the Patriots. He finally did something for himself and decided I'm going to go prove for once and all for all, I could do this somewhere else. And he goes somewhere else and they build something and just the sheer willpower of him being there, the defense stepped up, the wide receiver stepped up, the kickers, every aspect of that team just came together. And it, there's a mental thing. There's a toughness that you can't. And, and this is kind of why I talk about with the Yankees where they don't have this. They just feel like they're a bunch of guys who feel like on paper we're big names and we deserve to win. And that's why, you know, we should be great. But even a sport like baseball, where it's just as simple as, you know, bat on the ball and certain things that like you can't quantify, like 
Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge could hit a ball 9,000 feet. That's great. And theoretically, that's the best thing you could do on a baseball field. But when it comes down to it, there's something about an attitude. And, and that's the human aspect of sports that we always talk about, you and I in particular, and me on the podcast. And that's, that's the best thing. And, and the question becomes now, is this the best way to build a team? Is the best way to build a team, A, to find a guy who cares this much? Obviously, the ideal situation is to find a guy who doesn't speak any English. And then three years after he's in the league, he grows like nine inches and 200 pounds more than he was like Giannis. But no, is this um, a funny stat? Actually, a really funny stat is that Giannis's first year in the league, you know, he shot 35% from three by far his best number. And they say, because he grew like his shot just totally changed and like he never conquered it. But at 26 years old, you never know if he works as hard, maybe he could, you know, start shooting threes again. I don't know. Anyway, just the thought I had, because if Giannis started hitting threes, that would just be the craziest thing in the world. But um, we the- heard Giannis speak. You made me, uh, you said I have required reading and uh, required YouTube as it were. Talk about the role of humility in yep. greatness. Yep. And that is a lesson. Boy, is that not an important, amazing lesson. If you can get a humble, think of the humble, listen, there's been some braggarts who've been successful too. And so I don't know if you can use that as your primary formula, as if it was a metric when you're building a team, but how nice is it to have Tim Duncan or a Giannis, you know, or in our case, the Julius Randall, a humble. Yeah. That's where, that's uh, where I get my hope. If you got a guy like yeah. Julius Randall. Yeah. If you can have a humble superstar, then the rest of the, and humility can be defined a lot of different ways, but we're defining it as somebody who doesn't think that he has anything coming to him. That just works yeah. for anything he does, has no expectations, as Giannis explained, for a result other than to give it his absolute all at all times and hope that the opportunity will come his way and just be grateful for whatever success he has. I mean, what more could you ask for from your superstar? And that is certainly something that rubs off on a team and, we uh, we got to witness it. And yeah, I mean, if I was building a franchise, I don't know what I would do. There's a lot of pressure on franchises and that's a business and it's a different aspect and it's quantified by wins and losses. But one has to, has to factor in um, how does having a humble w- leader that's willing to work impact your team? We've seen it time and time again that it, it can impact it a lot. I don't know if that's true of every sport, but it certainly has uh, proven to be true in the NBA in a lot of cases. Well, it's actually funny because I was about to say the opposite. In the NBA, I think it's the hardest sport. I think it's the sport where sheer talent wins more than anything else. Um, You know, you look at Kawhi Leonard. He was just the best player in the league for a year. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to go to Toronto. I don't care about anyone here. I just wanted to get, I didn't care where I went. I just wanted to get the hell out of San Antonio and prove that I am awesome. And so he went on like his own personal mission. It wasn't for anyone else, but his own selfish reasons. And well, I can't get into, I can't get into Kawhi's head, but I will tell you that when, um, I will tell you that when Milwaukee was going on their run, they were giving me Toronto Raptors vibes where all the supporting cast, the way the team played, I know you make fun of uh, the coach. I don't know that much about coaching, but I will tell you this. They played where everybody was playing within themselves and with fire and desire and determination on every possession. And that's what you saw with Toronto and their run. And so, you know, whether Kawhi's mentality was Giannis's mentality or not, I, I, can't, I don't know, but I just, I can tell you, and you know, 
with Kawhi, it may be that he had it for that season, the right attitude. And then once he got it, he just kind of got like a got, you, you know, it remains to be seen how Giannis will be if he's successful for two or three years. Unfortunately, success. But he came off of two MVP seasons where he was the most recognized guy in the league. And he was like, and he almost toned it back this year where he was like, no, I don't want to win a third straight MVP. I, I'm trying to do something else. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And that's so why I'm it's just... all the more impressive what Giannis did. It really is, and he doesn't seem like he's really prone to letting it get to his head. He he seems to have to get the fact that humility is part of his greatness. I mean, he says it explicitly. So yeah, I guess you're right, and and certainly Kawhi doesn't have that vibe going for him. It doesn't seem anymore. But that Toronto team was a very uh, playing within themselves kind of uh, ambitious uh, team, and and I did see a lot of parallels where you had just Lowry scrapping and Siakam just every, everybody really played very, very um, passionate. And that, that was an impressive team too. And that's such and, a Nick nurse thing also with the Raptors. I mean, if you go back and listen to his interview with Ryan Rosillo, like he, he was the engine for that team, him and obviously Kyle Lowry who had been there forever. And right. even DeMar DeRozan, who was no longer there, who I love to give a lot of credit for that championship, just built a certain mindset and a way of doing things um, for the future. And, and that obviously worked for that team. And yeah, maybe Coach Budenholzer, the one thing where he took a ton of, you know, uh, hate for was that he doesn't make a, a lot of adjustments in game. That was the one thing where he lacked, you know, you'd see a certain thing happen over and over and over. It's like, how long are you going to take before you can figure out a way to adjust? But, you know, sometimes you need a guy who's just a team builder and a cheerleader. And you saw after the game, he was crying how much he loved these guys, like genuinely, you know, how much he cared yeah. about, you know, I love that saying to Chris Middleton, I'm so proud of you. And, and everyone talked about Chris Middleton. That was what Giannis talked about after the game, how, you know, we talked about Chris, the player. He talked about how Chris is his motivator. Chris is the guy who pushes him. Chris is the guy who makes him want to be better. So obviously there's a lot going on. Um, and I mentioned PJ Tucker before PJ Tucker had one shot attempt, zero points, mm-hmm in game six and had the highest plus minus rating of any player in that game. I mean, he is the most Milwaukee buck player of all Milwaukee bucks players. Right. And one, he, and one of the most expressive faces in the NBA history. Yeah. At all he times. wears his heart. I, that's not even on his sleeve. That's, you know, it's on, his, on face. his face. He wears heart on his face. Exactly. Everyone knows exactly what he's thinking and what's going on in his mind. Okay. Yankees just gave up the tying run. Um, All right. So, and that's another thing. So we want to get to with uh, Giannis. I always talk about this because um, I don't remember the, the, I think it was also Ryan Russell who said the Americanized athlete. Giannis doesn't have that mindset yet where he has something coming to him. You know, these are kids who not, not no fault of their own. They're superstars. They're built different. They look different. They're more talented. They're bigger. They're stronger. When they're 14 years old, you know, every, they're at AAU camps and everyone already knows these guys are about to be superstars and you know, they start to get in their head about that. And you don't see that from a guy like Giannis who, you know, grew up in poverty and really didn't touch a basketball till he was, you know, however old and only came over here when he was 18 years old and still had to rebuild a life and learn a new language and all that. And I see that a lot in hockey in hockey. You see guys who, and this is why I love hockey and hockey playoffs. They play so hard and they, they, they don't feel like they're owed anything ever. And, and that's, that's also something where when you see an athlete like that, it's so rare. Um, 
and and that's why it's so awesome. Um, CP3. Let's uh, let's go there for a second. So, do you think CP3? How does this look for him on just a, as far as a resume? Is this a big blemish? Does this tell you who he is? Um, he had a crazy game against the Clippers to close out that series where it was what 40 points and no turnovers. And how does that turn into this series where he just disappeared for, you know, four games in the middle of the series? Uh, CP three, unfortunately will be defined uh, largely by this Um, until he does win a championship. He'll have a similar, um, it'll be similar to Barkley where his greatness will be recognized but just he will be viewed as a player that couldn't get over the hump. And it's not entirely unfair because uh, to be fair, sometimes he was great when the shine the light was shining on him, but sometimes he shrunk a little bit from the moment it seemed at least. And some, and he always seemed to either be injured or not. You can't really tell, but there's, there was just that little extra oomph and this not to take away from his greatness because his greatness took him to a very high level. But, for example, I don't know. What is his contract status now? I don't know what the status is, but I, I think he might be a free agent. Something interesting that like, happened. Would you, take him for, would you take him for the Knicks? No, with this current I, I, Nick team as constituted? I wouldn't. And here's why. Because everyone talks about, you know, all anyone wants to talk about is the, the mindset. What, what Chris Paul brings to a team from just a leadership and a mindset perspective. And whether it's injury, whether it's something else, like even Scott Foster being the referee of the game, there's always something that seems to get in his head that distracts him from winning the championship or just winning the big games and performing at the level he should. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo could have been playing. We don't know, but that hyperextended knee was one of the worst injuries I've seen in a basketball game in my life. And we didn't even talk about that. He came back from the injury and was insane. Well, that's just it. You know, so, I mean, especially with social media now and everything being reported in real time, it's like, it seems with CP3 and he's just one of probably the majority of the NBA where there's always the, the, the player and his game and then the stories surrounding it and everything is just mixed in there. And you can't seem to be able to just distill out just the playing. And yet that's what Giannis was able to do. Like for Giannis, and that's what I meant with Bobby Portis. Like it was just about the game. It's like, yeah, whatever, dude, your antics, notwithstanding, we're here to win a game. And, right. and that's Chris Paul, LeBron sometimes thing. it LeBron's- becomes like, should I give it, should, who, who should take this shot? Who should do this? I understand that people have to make a decision in time. And he's, he's a great, great point guard who almost always makes the right decision. He knows so many things. He was taking Giannis one-on-one it seemed like Giannis had taken it upon himself to try to guard him, or at least they were switching onto him on purpose. Whatever by the it was. Way, Chris Paul was awesome for three quarters, it three plus quarters of that game, game six. So like that does help he him. Shrunk, he shrunk a little bit at the end and that seems to always happen to him. So it's like the karma that you're talking about. It's the opposite of the Brady effect. Like it seems like his karma is to just be great but then just not make it over the hump. I mean, he's been doing it his entire career. Uh, as a Nick fan, though, I would I would give him a shot at, at redemption. Right, and that's where the <laughs> overreaction thing is because a week ago, if you would have asked me, hey, would he come to the next? I would have been like, oh, of course he would. He should come to the next. I mean, he would be the perfect guy, just a pass-first guy, you know, to let everyone else do their thing, you know, on the team. He'd be the perfect guy for the Knicks. 
But at the end of the day, what people love and love about Chris Paul is his team first mentality where he's a pass first guy. He's just there to set everyone up. Um, but sometimes in the biggest spot, and this could be a knock on him, he doesn't look to get his own. And maybe he's just a little bit, maybe there's a little mental where he's just a little afraid to look to get his own. And that could be part of it. I mean, he's so great. The, the his, his NBA IQ is through the roof, maybe the highest uh, in the NBA, you know, LeBron James, notwithstanding. And it's just, it's him and LeBron and there's everyone else as far as, as far as NBA basketball IQ on, uh, on the floor. And uh, so I think he'd be a perfect fit for the Knicks. And maybe this loss creates, I can't tell, but maybe this creates a buying opportunity for the Knicks. Maybe not, but we always seem to over, uh, I mean, it would be that, that would actually be career defining for him, which is why, he maybe should consider it. So that's why you want him because you think if yeah. Chris Paul wins a title in New York, I mean, he becomes the goat of all goats, right? If he did that, it would certainly undo uh, this season this, for sure. That would shake off that monkey off his back and he needs to shake it off his back. I mean, he deserves to, he's a great player. His, you know, his court awareness and, and his talent is remarkable. There were, there were, moments in his career where he may have been the best player literally in the NBA. And so he deserves a shot with the Knicks, I think. <laughs> yeah. And some of that, the, so the obvious answer would be, you know, all because of all the things you said, well, just sticking with LeBron, take some of the playmaking, you know, responsibility weight off of LeBron's shoulders and kind of make that happen, make that a natural thing. Um, and this is my LeBron point. LeBron doesn't like Chris Paul. Um, I'm sorry. When LeBron was that's, talking that's your about his NBA playoffs uh, earlier in the playoffs, and I, I mentioned this already on the podcast, and it's like, but I wanted to get your take. He's like, he was talking down the playoffs, and Chris Paul's like, hey, we all had a chance to, you know, to show up, and that was where LeBron and, and even KD separated themselves. KD played so hard even after you know all his other guys went down, whereas LeBron just didn't care to play hard after AD went down. You know what I mean? So like. I, I defend. It seems LeBron like LeBron's focus is elsewhere. He shows up for Game Five. Didn't seem like he was there for his best friend Chris Paul. And if LeBron really wanted to win and and wanted his best friend Chris Paul to win, now would be the opportunity. He'd be like, "Yeah, I'm going to bring Chris Chris to me, and we're going to do it together. This is going to be our dynasty ride. You know, like riding off into the sunset together. One last championship for both of us. I've done everything else. Now all I got to do is win with my guy." Um, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it, LeBron is, is a ambiguous figure because sometimes he's way too polished. It's hard to tell what's sincere with him. He always seems to be trying to do and say the right thing. And then sometimes it's just a little over the top. Um, but I mean, the, the flip side of him giving up was he's so incredibly smart and he's been in the league so long that he pretty much knows at this point how far he's going to go, or at least what his chances are. And so he wants to conserve it for the following year. That's the year. overthinking thing that you talk about where that's... Giannis doesn't care. He just goes out there and plays his butt off between the lines. And, and that's what makes him so special. That's true. But that might be the difference between being 26 and being 56. You know what I mean? Uh, so I don't know. It's, 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 it's a good question. Are we going to talk about Wout Van, Van Aert? Um, so yeah, we're, we're getting into that. So my brother Zalmi is a big cycling fan. I don't know what you guys call yourself. <laughs> Um, but he he loves biking and to the point that he watches other people do it. And, um, you know, I've watched more Tour de France coverage in this year than I ever have in my life because I watched the video of 
the lady holding the sign saying hi grandma up and getting run over by a thousand bikes over and over again a thousand times so that's more coverage than i've ever seen in my life um but i personally don't get it um i don't get the appeal i get that it's difficult to do but i could all but i, I to me i can't see the difference of going to like an la fitness and watching a bunch of middle-aged women in, in a gym riding on their bikes and um you know, these guys who are supposed supposedly like uber talented athletes uh, riding their bikes. I can't see the difference um, or the appeal to watch it. Um, but you're in a fantasy biking league now with him. Yeah. So you're a guy who came over from real sports. Um, you know, we talked earlier on the last pod about your testosterone levels being yes. uh, low. They're low. Uh, it sounds like they've hit an all time low. Tell me about biking. Yeah. So my testosterone hit rock bottom. I stopped caring about all sports, but except, you, the Knicks. except the Knicks, which isn't even a sport. It's just one team within one sport. And it's and, love. And, I, and it was really a great, a great story this year. And so my son, Zalmi, who's been trying to get me into cycling, as we call it, by the way, uh, for literally very, very hard for eight years. I ignored him. I'm not proud of it, but there were also some epithets thrown his way. Um, there were slurs uh, addressed in his direction. And somehow he pounced when the moment was right. He, he noticed the testosterone dip and he said, make a cycling team, a fantasy team for the Tour de France. So I'm going to give you the elevator pitch. I'll give you the four minute pitch as to what is cool about cycling. Take it or leave it. You tell me what Sell you Sell it think, to the okay? audience. Do it. I'm going to, okay, audience, here we go. This is why you should love cycling couple of things first of all uh, it's true first of all races are fun okay when you watch people race when you watch like horses race or rabbits or any or cars you know nascar is very popular in america watching something race can be fun now yes, but he, but yeah go ahead um not when it's eight days long and it's hours long and you you can't really see somebody take you don't really see the lead changing or how it's changing, but I do agree okay. with you. That, that what I was going to say before is I do agree with you that watching racing is fun. Just take the Olympics. All of a sudden people get into sports that they've never heard of when it comes to rooting for their countries. And it comes to like Olympics, like funny, funny. You should mention that because at the moment of this taping, we are on the eve of the Olympic road race, which is about 240 kilometers of racing this year. I don't know if you know, the Olympics are in Tokyo. And there's a mountain there called Mount Fiji, which is one of the taller mountains. It's going to be hot. It's going to be 37 degrees Celsius, which is probably like 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's going to be humid. And so these guys are going to be racing up a mountain at a very high steep mountain uh, and certain stages in the race for 200 and roughly 40 kilometers. And it's going to be a one day race for the ages. It's going to take them about eight hours or maybe whatever, somewhere between five and eight hours. Obviously a very impressive cool. physical skill. No one's denying that. Okay, so let me explain to you what's cool about racing. You ready? Number one, this is really cool. You I ready? can't say I was born ready, but over the last like 10 years of being nagged about this, yes, I'm now somewhat closer to ready. Continue. Now, now, Zalmi, uh, your, your youngest brother, bless his soul, I, I feel bad. I might misrepresent this because I've been to, into cycling now for exactly three weeks because the Tour de France just ended. And it's a three-week race. 
And before that, around, can we add him to this call? He has a big test tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to do my best. He's going to certainly be skipping to this part and listening with raptured attention. So he better not. I I want to hear about Giannis. So let me try to explain. (laughs) Let me try. Let me try to explain to you like this. He'd be trying to figure out if Giannis is like a play that they run or if it's a type of food they eat or whatever. (laughs) All right. If the race of the cycle, as it were, and let's let's take aside the fact that there's a lot of swag and the spandex and there's the bike and, you know, and that aspect. But if the race was just whatever, a mile into the wind, let the fastest man win. So then you're right. It would just be who can cycle fast, who could pedal faster. Right. However, because it's like 250 kilometers and because of the wind after 250 kilometers, you'd be amazed how much the wind, uh, it could be, let's say, twice as hard if you're cycling on your own as opposed to with a group. Now, they call the group of cycles cyclists a peloton. And here's where the strategy yes, comes Yes, I know this because uh, people ride pelotons. That's that's the bike that people buy where they ride together virtually. That's uh, So, fun fact. By the way, you reading off from. your notes off your phone is not, like, promising for no, the no, bike No, 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 I'm not, I'm not reading off my notes. <laughs> I'm, I, that's The notes that I'm looking at is my fantasy cycling team that I've assembled for the Olympics that I'm going to show you. This is my cycling team for the Olympics. I'm going to go through them. Don't worry. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. But first, I'm going to explain to you what's cool about it. The first thing that I think you'll like is we talk about alpha dogs. And you say, oh, you know, this guy stepped up, that guy stepped up. There is a designated alpha dog in cycling, which is to say like this. They know that one dude is faster than the rest of the dudes, but no one dude can ride for an entire 250 kilometers Okay, and be ahead of the pack. That's not physically humanly possible, especially not up a mountain. So aside from the fact that you have specialists, there's a time trial where everybody goes on their own, not as a group, and they'll do like 30 kilometers instead of 250. That's one day stage. There's uh, something called climbing up a mountain. So usually a skinnier guy will climb more because he's schlepping less body mass. There's something called the sprinter, uh, Peter Sagan, who's who's like an unbelievable sprinter or... Uh, my personal favorite, Caleb Ewan, who on my fantasy team broke his collar, clavicles, flew all over the course on the third day of the 21 day race. Was in that a the lady with crash. the sign? The lady with the sign took down one, exactly one half of my fantasy team. There, the, the, the mummified remains of this guy, Roglic, who's an incredible cyclist, basically like he slept his mummified remains, literally bandaged up. It's amazing what these guys ride. It's a very painful uh, sport. But anyways, to make a long story short, in order to succeed, you need to have a team. So there is an actual team, right? I, I get that. And then there's one winner, though, right? Yes. So, but it's like but, a relay but, race almost. No, it's nothing like it. Well, no. okay, I'll explain to you what goes on because this is actually really cool. Okay. So if everybody just rode in the peloton, so then the fastest guy uh, might win, but everybody wants their fastest guy on their team, their best guy, their best chance, best combination of climbing and sprinting to be able to win. So what they do is they form the Peloton. When you're in the Peloton, you're protected from the wind. So let's say you're using, for argument's sake, it's a little exaggerated, half the amount of of energy. So that's really good. You're conserving your energy. Then they're going to say, okay, we need to tire out the other team's best dude. So they go on a breakaway. So they, they, they conserve some energy. They'll go with like four guys together. And they'll like go on a br- or or eight guys together, whatever it is. They'll go on a breakaway. Now the purpose of the breakaway is they want to create 
a, they're going to want to make the Peloton work harder and go faster, right? Because if the breakaway is like nine miles ahead, then those guys are going to win. You don't want those guys to win. So you send guys called domestiques, which is French for like your servants, the, ser- the domestiques on your team. You mentioned that this, this uh, is not the most progressive <laughs> sport. <laughs> right. So yeah, literally the, the guys that are not alpha are called slaves and they don't have any black people. But um, one day they'll break the color barrier and then it'll be a less racist sport. Hopefully it'll be great. But in the meantime, it's very interesting strategy. You'll send out these domestiques. They not, first of all, they bring food back and forth and drinks to the riders in the car. The crowd interacts sometimes in the case of the sign a little too much with the riders. Sometimes it's a problem, but you could like fist pump them and everything like that. It's beautiful rolling hills. They go with nature. So for example, nature matters. Rain, you're going down 90 miles an hour on a sleek thing in a rain. It changes the conditions. In Tokyo, the day is supposed to be very hot and humid. That changes everything, nature, everything matters. But here's the cool part. The domestiques, they're going to send their not best riders to go as fast as they can. Now, when they go as fast as they can ahead of the pack, they force the pack to go higher, harder. Because if the pack doesn't go harder, then those guys will just win. And those guys shouldn't win. So they go a little harder. Now they're tiring them out. And so it becomes like a game of cat and mouse. When are we going to catch up to the breakaway? And then when they catch up to the breakaway, we got to protect our fastest guy for each stage to, to uh, in order to... Um, to win. So that's I some love of the Rugolo Door, by the way. Arugolo Door, my favorite baseball player. Continue. Yeah. So further on, it is a huge, there's 180 riders in, in a tour like the Tour de France. There are one day races also. Tour de France happens to be one of the three grand tours, which are like these three week races with some hills, some sprints, some time trials. But the, um, the general classification is the guy that rides the three weeks in the shortest amount of time. Right now, the class in the sport is t- this guy, Tade Pogacar, who is unbelievable. And he looked like he did it in an effortless uh, manner. But there are other guys who are also great. And they all come from various countries and various teams. The Olympics is a one-day race. So the one-day race takes on a little bit who's going to win the stage. To win one stage, by the way, out of 180 riders, the, most of those riders will never win even a stage in the Tour de France. To win one stage is a very big deal it's like a big feather in your cap you've done really well if you won one stage so for example our guy me and tops the front by the way his name is van wout van ark he's from belgium and he did something really cool there was a british guy his name was mark cavendish who was going to beat the belgian record of number of stages one in the tour he tied it in this particular tour only because this guy this other really fast guy cracked so many crashes and but it was amazing that he did that, very emotional. And the Belgian record was preserved because uh, Wout van Aert, who's incredible, what he did an incredible thing this year's Tour de France. He won a mountain stage, a time trial stage, and a sprint stage, also winning the last two stages of the Tour de France, just like with emphatic emphasis. So he didn't win the Tour de France, but just to win a stage is a very big deal because that's a full day of strategy, and you got guys and choppers, team leaders saying, don't go ahead, don't go ahead. Famously, for example, when Lance Armstrong, we're not going to get into the doping controversy, but in 2009, he made a comeback. He had his own teammate. Doping is great for sports. Continue. <laughs> That's the controversy. He had his own teammate. Uh, remember, there's all the drama they're in, right? You have an alpha, but, but not everybody is on board, right? Like everybody's supposed to serve the alpha. 
but the alpha on that team are they rogue. Like, do they have like their jrs who are just like in it to mess it up <laughs> like oh that one guy was supposed to do this and then he like rode too fast for five minutes or something like that <laughs> any dynamic you can imagine no, because how do you how can you tell what they're doing what they're trying to do like when you're watching a full day of the race like like i understand what you're saying and there's a lot of like strategy and team play that goes into it but how does that manifest itself on television as a sport that people would want to watch that takes because three because weeks. you're getting because you're getting aerial views these guys bob and phil really know what's going on they're legends they're they're the uh, mike breen and and jeff van gundy of cycling and they're really really interesting and entertaining to listen to they put things in context and so they say oh are we going to catch this break or are we not and you see the physical pain on these guys as they're trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do. And they're getting, so for example, with Lance Armstrong, this is kind of interesting. The guy who's supposed to protect Lance went rogue and decided he's going to win ahead of Lance that particular year in 2009. So you get this drama, right? Am I going to like follow, lead the alpha? Or in the case uh, of Roglic, his mummified remains had to be hauled out of the tour. So now who's going to step up from that team, right? Sometimes you lose your best guy. So any one of these things can happen. Um, so that's what makes it interesting. It's incredible. I got way, I got as excited about David Gadu. Uh, my next um, fantasy team name is going to be Gadu to the last drop. He's a young French rider who's a climber. He's not the best on earth, but he's still young. And he was leading a stage and I was rooting for him so hard. He got caught. And I was just happy that he came out in one piece. But this guy came out 11th in the Tour de France in general classification which means he's 11th fastest fastest out of 180 that's pretty impressive just to go through my team real real quick uh this is what we'll call the preview for the one day 250 kilometer race in tokyo 20 it's technically 2020 but it was pushed to 2021 and here we go you ready there's well the aforementioned for a thousand bucks uh wout van art he won the aforementioned stages. I think he's a beast. He might be the most talented cyclist out there because of what he can do. Uh, Hugo Heel from Canada. His brother died tragically in a car crash, picking him up from the airport. So that's why he's on my team. Uh, Polish guy, Kwiatkowski. He was cheap. We'll see what he does. Damelin. I'm not going to Zacharin because he's named after my neighbor. David Gardu because I'm in love with him. And then Adam Yates and Alexei Lusenko. I'm not going to get too far into it, but I think if I had to pick the podium, I'm going to go Alexei Lusenko. Adam Yates and Wout Van Art. Bank it, dog. I'm going to go. All right. It sounds like you are a degenerate gambler, and that could be the only (laughs) reason you are into this. I I have no money on this, but Adam Yates. I could see. I I don't believe that, but um, I could see why you'd want people to think you have no money on this because. Uh, there is no amount of money that would justify this for me. Anyway, I hope some uh, listeners got a lot out of that. So uh, good job by you. Good job by you. All right. I'll talk to you guys. Don't forget Lutsenko, Yates and, and Van Art. All right. We'll keep that in mind. I'll talk Good job to you. by you. Good job by you. I pick my dues time after time after my sentence but committed no crime Bad mistakes I've made a few I've had my shells And it's in my bed
fame and fortune and everything goes with it. I thank you all. But it's been a better.